Good morning. All right. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's good to be here with family. Um, you guys are our family, and maybe some of you are family that I don't know because you're family of family, but you're welcome, and we're glad that you're here. So this morning, it's great to be together. Um, I hope everyone's had a great Christmas, and, and you've been able to relax a little bit, to settle down, have a little bit of uh, maybe some time off work and some downtime, but hopefully... Um, our, our prayer is that we've been able to reflect on the coming of Jesus, uh, of Emmanuel, God with us, and that, that even in resting in that, we've been rejuvenated and restored and, and really enjoyed that. So Merry Christmas. I'm glad you're here. It's also wonderful to have the kids with us this morning. Um, we're treating this like a first Sunday, so we have the third through fifth graders joining us this morning. So as we're going through um, the sermon and we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 this morning. If, if there's a, a child that's sitting next to you, whether they're yours or just happen to be next to you, they become yours, feel free to, in the process, um, if they have questions, don't, don't worry about getting in the way uh, or being you know, uh, a distraction. Feel free to answer those questions. That's, that's key. That's what we want. We are family, and so we do this together. So if Kids, if you have questions, feel free to ask. Follow along as we're reading through the Bible. We're going to be in Romans 12. We'll be looking at the first two verses and discussing how the gospel transforms our lives. Uh, I think it's a beautiful gift that God has given us in His Word. And, and one, of the, one of the beautiful things about it is that no matter where we are in it, it's a cohesive story. All of it's telling the same thing. All of it is pointing to a great Savior. And so while two weeks ago we were in Hebrews, um, and don't worry, we'll be going back to Hebrews if you counted only 10 chapters and you know there's 13, we will be going back. But, but two weeks ago we were in Hebrews, last week we were in Luke and Isaiah, and then this week we're going to be in Romans. Um, all of those things, when we consider those things, we still recognize the continu- continuity of God's Word in just the beautiful way that it tells the whole story, the whole book points to Jesus and the sufficiency of His work through His life, His death, and His resurrection. Uh, in Hebrews, we've been given this meat, sound doctrine and theology that unpacks the heavenly work of what Jesus did while He was on earth, what was happening in the heavenly realms. And then in the Christmas story, we have the factual account of the birth of Jesus, the faithfulness of God to fulfill His promise to His people. And today we jump to Romans And we see how Paul says that because of those things, we ought to live a transformed life of worship that declares the glory of God. So we're in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'd like us uh, to read it together. I'll read it aloud and you guys can follow along. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the pews. Feel free to grab one. It's better that we all read it together. And and follow along. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we find life. 
we find grace, we find uh, your working to renew our hearts and our minds. So we ask that this morning you would do that, that your Holy Spirit would be here, that by your Holy Spirit you would uh, point us to Jesus, that we would see in Him the gospel, the beauty of grace, the atonement, the justification for our sins, the exchange of our sin and our shame for His righteousness, Lord. So we ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see your glory. We pray that you would um, be with the kids, God, that you would um, bless them, that they would know you as they're learning in Sunday school this morning. We pray that all of us would taste and see that you're good, that it would drive us to worship you with our whole lives. We just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text this morning, we have a couple points that Paul is trying to convey to the Romans. And I'd like to go ahead and give you the outline for for where we're going to be going today so that you can follow along. So uh, I'll put the points on the screen and we'll go through them together. So the four points of today's passage, the first one is therefore. Um, The second one is living sacrifice. The third one is not conformed, but transformed. And the fourth is for the glory of God. As we go through this text this morning, I'd like us to do so in light of the gospel, um, keeping in the forefront of our minds that Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. So it's, it's not something that he starts and then we have to go and figure it all out, but he's going to walk us through all of these things. Um, because here's why we have to keep the gospel in mind today. Often in a passage like this, we can take what God is saying he will do through the power of his Holy Spirit and by the work of the gospel of Jesus, and we make it something that we go out and try to conjure up or do in our own lives. And, and we want to avoid that pitfall this morning, uh, particularly around this holiday season. It's New Year's tomorrow, so we always think about, it's a time of reflection, thinking about what we didn't do well this past year and what we're going to do better in the coming year. And so let's not get caught up in trying to do this ourselves, but let's remember the gospel. We make New Year's resolutions and we tell ourselves how we'll put more effort, more intentionality into our lives and produce better fruit and works, become better parents, better children, uh, better workers, better friends, better neighbors. Thankfully, Paul knows the hearts of the Romans and uh, by God's grace, he knows our hearts. So let's look at what he has to say. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're going to call this verse 1a. It's the first half of verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. The key there is therefore. Um, What we do sometimes by jumping into a book that we, we haven't, read the first 11 chapters as we, as we lose what a therefore might be. Um, so therefore points to what he's established in the first 11 chapters of Romans. He describes the depth of sin and the chasm created between us and God because of our sin. He says that we are all separated from God, that none of us is righteous. And then he moves into the law and he describes how the law was given to us to show just how unrighteous we are and how even if we were to try and and devote ourselves to fulfilling this law, we can't do it. We need a Savior. 
showed the holiness of God and our inability to fulfill the law. And it clearly pointed to Jesus, our need for a Savior found in Him. I'm going to pull a couple excerpts out of Romans to, to establish what, get, what Paul has said to the Romans so that we know and we, we can see the gospel. So in Romans chapter 5, in the first two verses, I've got them on the screen for you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Just to unpack that a little bit, he says we have peace through God. So while we didn't have peace, while there was strife and animosity because we were enemies of God, through Jesus Christ we now have peace with Him. We've also obtained access. So that chasm that was separating us from God has now been spanned by the cross. Jesus has given us access to the Father, and it's in grace that we now stand. What does that cause us to do but to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Again, a little later in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 5, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We've seen the justification of His blood as as we've read in Hebrews, where the sprinkling of the blood causes the cleansing and the forgiveness of sin and the washing away. Paul says in those verses that we have attained access by faith into grace. I pray that this morning we would understand grace or at least get a, get a better understanding of it, a glimpse of it. It's, it's a scandalous grace. I've um, been reading Jeff Vanderselt's book, uh, Gospel Fluency, and just kind of diving into some of his podcasts. And, and one of the things that he says is that if the gospel is not utterly scandalous to you, you may not have heard the gospel. If it, if it somehow allows you to, to kind of see it and make sense of it, we've got to ask ourselves, do we really hear it? Because it's, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing grace. It's a scandalous grace. I think that one of the reasons that I have such a hard time with that is um, I am extremely transactional. I have this idea of kind of a ledger in my head. This is not a gospel. This is Joel. This is not what you need to go out and do. But I want to explain it to you so that we can see what grace is. Because I have this idea that I can earn these things. And really where it plays out, uh, unfortunately, is in my home a lot. I feel like um, I should be able to carry my weight and everybody else in my household should carry their weight. And I have an idea of what everybody's weight should be, that they should be carrying. Um, I use the word should a lot in my home because I have the right way that things should work. And yet, thankfully, God in His grace tears that down quite often. And so He, he challenges those ideas that I have that, hey, if, if I am emptying the dishwasher every time, something's not right there. That should not be happening. Right? And so we have this idea that of what should be taking place. 
And then a lot of times that'll lead to a conversation and it, the conversation starts like you should, right? Whether it's our children or whether it's our spouse or whether it's our neighbor. And so we have this idea and grace comes and it wipes away any kind of should. It wipes away anything that we have uh, to stand on in our justification. And so when we look at the gospel, we have to see this, this amazing, scandalous grace. Um, We'll, we'll tap into that a little more as we move on, but keep that in mind that if you have an idea of what grace looks like, just ask God and say, God, maybe I've just made your grace too small. Um, maybe I haven't asked questions because I don't want to know because it would strip away what, I, what I'm standing on right now. Paul continues and he says, not only is Jesus our Savior... But he says that there's nothing that can separate us from that salvation. At the end of chapter 8, he talks about, he lists all the things and says that none of those things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from Christ because we haven't done anything. We, We haven't done anything to earn it. He continues saying we were enemies, but in His sovereignty, God has chosen. He has elected us. He has grafted us into a family. We are adopted heirs. And all these things are done by God and for God. And that's Paul's appeal. That's that's the impetus of what he's going to drive here. We have to have that, though, because if we don't have that, we'll take this and we'll make it a checklist of things to do. We'll say, living sacrifice. All right, I I can work on that. Not there yet, but I'll work on it really hard. We can say, transform mind. I just need to read more, right? If those things become a checklist, we're really going to miss it. But if the therefore, by the mercies of God, is what's driving this, we're going to experience the grace of God and we're going to experience transformation because of the gospel. If we appeal by anything other than the mercies of God, we're appealing to our own self-righteousness. It's never going to be enough. In that, li- in that transactional process, you're never going to meet up to what it, what it requires. Um, but we try to do it. God's trying to wipe that away. He appeals to a gospel that is sufficient in mercy and secure and firm in Christ. Paul is just harping on the sufficiency of the gospel. And all of these things align with our interpretation of the gospel on the ground. We, we talk about gospel on the ground um, in partnership. and Hopefully we're continuing to talk about it in our community groups and different things. That, but we have this regeneration process that God comes and regenerates our hearts and changes us inside. And then He... J- it's, we're justified because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we've, we've read that in Romans, that we are justified because of Christ and Christ alone. And then, then the sanctification process, what it means to, to have that righteousness that God has already given to us start to work itself out in our lives and to be shown in the way that we love each other, the way that we love our neighbors, the way that we love our enemies. And then glorification. All of this points to a beautiful Savior who's seen as we start to live these things out. And we know that he's, we will participate with Him in glory. So regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of focuses and keys in on the sanctification process and how that process is fed out of a right understanding of our justification through Jesus Christ alone. So keep in mind the gospel as we're going through these things, that that's, what, that's the therefore that's driving everything else. Verse 1b, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Point number two is living sacrifice. You see, that sufficient gospel, as we begin to understand its reality, compels us to respond. You can't experience that gospel and begin to understand a scandalous grace and then just sit back and be like, that's kind of cool. That sounds really good for you. No, it's going to change us. Because of what the gospel has done, now our lives, the sacrifice of our lives, is a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Because of what Jesus did, which is why Paul continues, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship. As we've read in Hebrews, it is impossible for us to bring a right sacrifice that cleanses and makes us holy. The only righteousness that we have is imputed righteousness. Righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ through His sacrifice. This, his death on the cross in our place. It's not a passive belief. That's what, if, if we've experienced the gospel, it can't be a passive thing. It then becomes an active thing. It's not a belief that all these things are done and now we can just sit and relax and wait for glory. No, true Christian faith is an active belief that the promises of God are true and that the gospel is real. If we truly believe that is the case, our lives then are not our own. They are bought at a heavy price. The blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrificing of God's own Son on our behalf. A price which Jesus paid on the cross. The reality of that cost and the price paid then compels us to live a life that looks like sacrifice that mirrors what Jesus did. When the reality of what, that we are saved by grace and grace alone sinks into our heart and our mind, it changes the way we process our thoughts, our fears, our emotions. Truth is I'm saved from my sin and I now have the righteousness of Christ. This erodes all the grounds that I based my self-righteousness on. It demolishes the foundation that I tend to build my own kingdom on. Let's look at these verses from Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. Paul is able to summarize some of what, what we're talking about. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying that the gospel is what moves us from death into life. It's the fruit of the work of Jesus and what He's done on the cross that is performing sanctification in our, in our hearts and minds. The gospel produces a living sacrifice in my life. It denies me of anything that I would have sought comfort and control. And instead, it feeds me the truth that those desires are only truly satisfied in Christ. When that truth, that, that I can only be satisfied in Christ, begins to permeate my life, it begins to look a lot more like Christ. Creates a life of contribution and generosity. When I know that 
nothing that I have is mine, that it's all been given to me, that it's all grace, then I am free to give. I am free to offer up everything that I have in response. That's only available through the gospel. And I think that it's pretty key that Paul says this is your spiritual worship. We tend to um, segregate worship and make it, there's a certain time and space where we worship. Right now, probably call this time our worship. But maybe afterwards, when we're watching football, we don't necessarily call that our worship. That's more of our downtime, kind of me time to relax. God is calling us to, to a living sacrifice that's a whole sacrifice. All of it, everything that we have, because of this great gospel, it's not, it's not he's asking a lot from us because he's given everything to us. And so then we, in turn, give everything that we have a whole sacrifice. So now our spiritual worship becomes the day-to-day things. Scrambling some eggs can become a spiritual act of worship. We can be serving each other. We can do it with a heart that is looking to glorify God in everything that we do. It can be correcting our children. It can be going to work. All of these things now become our spiritual worship so we can't segregate those things and say, this is worship. Our whole lives are worship. We, all the time, in every way, are declaring that something's good. So let's declare that God is good, because He is, and we've experienced it, and we've seen His gospel. Our offering is not done when it is convenient. And there seems to be an appropriate mood set or or timing is right. Our offering takes place all the time, both in our joy and in our suffering, both in plenty and in want. It's everything that we have, a living sacrifice. Point number three, verse 2a, if you will. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I'm spend a little bit of time here. Um, this is one where we can take it and we can kind of run with it and we can say, I just need to feed, I need to do something. Um, so not conformed but transformed is, is the third point. Paul goes on to encourage the Roman church to not get sucked back into trying to look like everyone else. to not sound like everyone else, to not live like everyone else, because our tendency is to conform to whatever it is that we are in. And we happen to be living life in a world that is very not Christ-like. And so we tend to be drawn to those things. But let's look again at verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And if the gospel is true, why would we go back to something that we know doesn't satisfy. If we've just proclaimed that gospel, we've said, man, that's beautiful. We sang it. Grace alone. And, and like we sang it because it means something. Why would we run to anything else then? And yet we do. We, we run to all these other things. But, but Paul is reminding us of the truth of the gospel. Let that transform the way that you think and the way that you live. Why would we try to just fit in? knowing that there is better offered in Jesus. Paul says, no, 
No, don't be conformed. Be holy, be set apart. Be all of the things that Jesus has done. Put on the righteousness of Christ that doesn't look like anything else you're going to see. It's not just us who realize that the world doesn't satisfy. Everybody who has tried and pursued the world knows that it doesn't satisfy. They might know it for a little while and think that it will, but they come to the end and they know that it doesn't. So we know what does satisfy. Why would we rent anything else? Be not conformed, but be transformed by the gospel. Act differently. Think differently. Feel differently. We are different because we are transformed. We're being sanctified with a renewed mind. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is producing a transformed way of thinking. Where instead of pursuing our comfort and our pleasure and our ease, we are pursuing God's glory. And, and what does this renewed mind look like? Um, the MacArthur Study Bible was really helpful in defining it. And it says the renewed mind is one saturated with and controlled by the Word of God. All of this seems a little, uh, a little light, like we just need to be transformed. But the reality is that God is saying, no, I've given you my word, and it's in there. That's what you should look like. A renewed mind is one focused on and full of the gospel. As our mind is renewed, we begin to take every thought captive and compare them to the truth of the gospel like Paul talks about in his second letter to the Corinthian church. He says, A renewed mind is an active mind that compares our thoughts and emotions to the truth found in the gospel. Talking about taking every thought captive um, and what that looks like. Let me give you an example. Um, Before I did this, I was an engineer at the Cape, um, and I was working for a government contractor. And I was hired in at a very low salary because I didn't have a degree. I had some work experience in the Navy, um, but I did not have the degree that would merit a higher salary. And so as I worked really hard, I struggled with a sense of not feeling respected or appreciated um, for how hard I worked. And often this led to thoughts of bitterness and frustration in my mind. So that's, that's where I was. Taking these thoughts captive, right? Comparing them to the Word of God, comparing them to the truth found in God's Word, says that <clears throat> what have I earned? What do I deserve? Paul says in Romans that the wages of my sin is death. That's not very encouraging. Uh, but that's true. Like, because of my sin, I deserve death. And so the reality of, I, of what I deserve, and as I start thinking again in that transactional sense, well, I worked this hard, so I deserve this, just gets wiped away. The reality of what I deserve is not better pay at my job. The reality of what I deserve is death and separation from God because of my sin. And yet God, in His mercy and His kindness, has not saved me has not only saved me from my sin, but He's blessed me. He's given me a job. He takes care of all of my needs. That's that's beautiful. That's something that's worthy of being thankful for. Not grumbling and complaining, but rejoicing in what God has given me. Knowing and actively believing 
this truth, my thoughts and attitudes then should be one of gratitude and joy for the salvation of Jesus and what He's done and His blessings in my life. But that's, that's where we are, family. That's Daily, we have opportunities to, to grumble and to be discontent. And what we need to do is remember the gospel. Remember that what we deserve and what God has given us. And then, and then just rejoice in that. Be excited about that. You see, this is what it means to be transformed, to be different. These thoughts don't come to us naturally. You're not going to hear this from anywhere other than the gospel. You're not going to hear this on commercials. You're not going to hear this in advertisements that are trying to, trying to sway you. You will only hear these things as you dive into the truth of the Word. We have to preach the gospel to each other and to ourselves continuously to be reminded of these truths. We have to be immersed in the Word of God. Um, being immersed. Melody Bohannon is immersed right now in Spanish. She's learning Spanish. The best way to learn something is to just be in it, to be immersed in it. If we want to, to be able to speak the gospel to ourselves and to others, we have to be immersed in it. We have to be saturated with the gospel. We have to be wanting to read it, and as we read it, it just stirs more and more and more. We need to be speaking it in our families. We need to be speaking it to our neighbors. We need to be immersed in the gospel. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God working in our thoughts and emotions. This renewed mind is the work of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in his letter to Titus, uh, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Maybe this morning you're like, I just don't really like to read my Bible. And I'm with you. Take this and just put it somewhere and start there. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's, that's for me because I, I told you that I'm transactional. I like to think that my works mean something that... Uh, that it can earn something, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved me by His grace according to His own mercy. And now He continues to reform us, to renew us, to renew our minds by the Holy Spirit. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the gospel. Number four, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Point number four, for the glory of God. Paul says that if we are not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind, that we would know the will of God. 
The Bible clearly states the will of God throughout all of it. Throughout the whole story, the glory of God is on display. God's will, His good and acceptable and perfect will is that we might know Him. We like to take the Bible and find out how it's about us. When we start there, we're starting with the wrong question. Let's take the Bible and find out the story of God in it. Let's find out about why He's glorious and why all of these things say that we should give our whole life, that we should be transformed. Why is all that necessary? Because God is glorious and we read it in His Word. God's will is that we might know Him, that we might be satisfied in Him, that we, the tendency that we have, because we're prone to wander and run after other things, is that quickly we would be remember, that's right, this doesn't satisfy, and yet Jesus does, and so I'm going to run there instead. Pray that God would just stir in us satisfaction, that we would remember how good He is. That He has everything that we need for life, and not just life, but life abundantly. That we'd be quick to run to the gospel. We know that God is redeeming and restoring. We've seen it in our lives, and in the lives of our friends, family, neighbors. We know that He's promised a new heaven and a new earth, and He's working all things together toward that good end. And so we're transformed by the gospel. As we're transformed, the world sees people that are being transformed. And they have to, they have to say that it, the glory belongs to God. They see the testimony that we bear of God saving wretches like us, sanctifying us by His Word and His Holy Spirit, producing the fruit of righteousness and joy and peace and love. And they see people with nothing else in common except the gospel. People who maybe don't like each other, and they have every reason to, and, and maybe they even have reason to hate each other. But instead, because of the gospel and because of the grace that they've, they know, that they deserve hell, and yet they've been given this beautiful gift, so now they embrace that and they embrace everyone else that God is drawing into the family. And so that's what the world sees, and they see all of these people joined together as one body for the glory of God. We know that, that the reason that God is joining this body is so that He can prepare a bride for His Son. And we get to be that bride. We um, get to join in. We become participants in the gospel. Paul's next couple of verses in chapter 12 continue to identify that beauty. Um, he talks about what it looks like when the body of Christ with a bunch of with, with different gifts come together. It brings God glory. He says it looks like love at the end of chapter 12. He says it looks like dying to each other and living for the glory of God. He puts it rather clearly in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He's, this is his prayer for them, and I believe that it's his prayer for us. Um, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Not to the glory and praise of ourselves, not so that we look better, but because it points to somebody who is best, who is wonderful, who is worthy of praise and glory. This gospel compels the praise and glory of our God. And so as we close, let's remember these four points. Therefore, this beautiful gospel, it's what drives it. If we, if we go and we skip that step and we just start trying to live a life of sacrifice, it's not going to go very far. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to say, why am I sacrificing when nobody else is sacrificing? Right? And we're going to start with this list of why am I doing the dishes when nobody else does the dishes, those types of things. But if it's the gospel that is compelling us, then the dishes become an act of worship. It becomes an act of service to our God and to our, our fellow man. The gospel is the catalyst that drives all of these things. We must know the gospel found in God's word and know it so well that we believe it and speak it to our own hearts and the hearts of others. Point two is living sacrifice. The gospel compels us to live lives not for ourselves, but for God and others. The gospel assures us of our righteousness in Jesus makes our lives an acceptable offering. It's not an acceptable offering unless it's found in Jesus. We've seen that in Hebrews. We've read it in Romans. That the only thing that's worthy of being an acceptable sacrifice is the blood of Jesus and what He's done. But if we find our identity in Him, if we are now heirs with Him of His righteousness, we can offer this living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. And that compels us to worship with our lives it becomes our spiritual worship, not segmented times and places, but constant, constant worship of our God in everything that we do, even, even in the down times, even in the, the times of relaxation where we are enjoying the, the blessings of God, the family of God, encouraging one another, uh, even in maybe watching football, we're encouraging one another, we're spending time together so it becomes an act of worship, encouraging one another. Point three, be transformed. This is that active and yet resting transformation process that we're doing. We're, we're not doing it ourselves. We're believing that Jesus has already done it on the cross, that he has transformed us, that he's transforming our thoughts and our emotions. We're taking those things captive. We're comparing what we feel and what we experience to what the Bible says is true. Finding out why, we, why we're believing a lie and then speaking the truth to it and then resting in that and saying, God, thank you for the truth of your word. Now make it reality in my life. That produces the fruit of the gospel, joy, peace, hope, love in our lives. As we begin to know and believe the gospel, we take our thoughts captive compared to the truth of God's word and it produces right fruit, and grateful worship. The last point is glorify God. None of this is for us. We get to be part of something much bigger. We get to experience and enjoy the story of God, 
We get to see ourselves in that story as we are a bride that's being sanctified and purified. We get to find a greater identity than just our individual identity. We are the body of Christ together. Look around. We're doing it together. And that's exciting. And that's bigger than us. So we can move out of some of the petty stuff that we get so wrapped up in. We glorify God in our lives, which is why we were created. That's why we were created, to glorify God. And this is the will of God, that we would know Him and enjoy Him forever. We're now participants in the gospel narrative. We've been grafted in. We're heirs with Christ, and we get to enjoy and reap benefits of this beautiful gospel that He has for us. What a joy that is. I'm going to pray and thank God just for His grace to us this morning. Lord, we uh, are just in awe of You. We're in awe of Your Gospel. We're in awe of Jesus that He would uh, lay down His life for an enemy. God, we were enemies. We were contrary to, and yet You grafted us in through Your Son. Through a right sacrifice. God, we just ask forgiveness for where we have tried to add to that sacrifice with our um, transactional thinking. God, I pray that we would be blown away by a scandalous grace today that, that even now as we're like, I don't really know if I, be- I believe that or have experienced that. I pray that in those honest moments you would come and show yourself to us through your word that as we dive in, we would realize this is amazing. We are blessed. God, and I pray that this gospel would produce in us a desire to lay down everything that we have and everything that we, we chase after for the glory of God, that we would um, see ourselves as participants in your story, that our life now is not our own, that we would surrender those things that we hold on to, we would lay them down for your glory so that our lives now become a living sacrifice and, and, and we experience joy and peace love, God. And that most of all, that those things would not be experienced for our own edification, but those things would point to a beautiful Savior, to a glorious God who is creating and recreating and renewing all things, God. I pray that our lives would testify to the glory of God, that our hearts would um, be changed and softened that we would tangibly meet the needs of those around us because of your gospel working in our hearts. And then we would just declare your glory. Thank you for our family and that we get to do this together. pray that this morning as we um, get ready for the new year, that we would remember the gospel, that it would be tangible to us, that it would... Um, Stir in us a desire to, to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice, that it would transform our hearts and our minds the way we think, and that it would give you glory. Thank you for all these things this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.